Macworld Podcast number 421 for August 20th, 2014. Brought to you by lynda.com, the easy and affordable way to help you learn. Instantly stream thousands of courses created by experts on software, web development, photography, graphic design, and more. And Automatic, the smart driving assistant on your smartphone. And welcome to another episode of the Macworld Podcast. I'm Chris Breen, and of course, joining me is... Serenity Caldwell. Hello, Chris. Hello, Ren. How are you? Not too bad. I just got uh, home from lovely Rome, New York. So, uh, you know, not jet lagged, but, but brushing off a little uh, a little car lag, if that's a thing. Uh, where is – I mean, I know where Rome is in Italy, but I didn't know we had one here. Yes, apparently we do. Uh, it is very different than the, uh, than the Rome we have in Italy, although I did eat Italian food that weekend. Um, it is – uh, in between Utica, New York, and Syracuse, New York, so it's upstate, uh, about five hours away from dear old Boston, Massachusetts. Okay, all right. Um, and but they don't have coliseums or any of the trappings of the uh, the original. No, sadly, oh, they do have a Revolutionary War fort at, at which there was a cannon fired off this weekend to celebrate something that I didn't quite get. Uh, but but no no coliseum, sadly, not okay. not. Quite as interesting as actual Italy. Well, I don't. I don't think that's too bad because I hear the one in Italy is really run down. So um, yeah, it's you know pieces are falling off. Uh, people are just walking over these beautiful old stairs. Man, come on, get with the upkeep. Okay, seriously. So, now that I've offended all Italians everywhere, um, <laughs> let's talk about something else. And uh, and you wanted to talk about something that came up last week, yes. Yeah. Um, so Apple uh, has been releasing these these little mini sections of their website over the past couple of years to talk about the environment, to talk about their new commercials, to post you know welcome letters to Beats. Uh, and something they put out last week was a uh, a section of their website devoted to a study on diversity within the company, uh, which is a really neat thing for a tech company to do. There's been a lot of sort of hubbub over the last year about. Women in tech, genders, uh, different, you know, race, racial integration in tech, and and what the balance is there. Uh, and Apple just kind of came out and said, "All right, here are the things that we're doing pretty well. Um, here are some of the the varied uh, varied options or varied options. Here are some of the varied uh, varied groups of our company and what our what our racial and our gender profiling and makeup looks like, uh, but." It also included a letter from Tim Cook saying, you know what, uh, I'm really proud of our diversity in Apple and indeed the diversity uh, ra- ratio is pretty high for a tech company. Uh, in fact, they, uh, they break it down for their overall company, which is, includes both corporate and, uh, and retail organization, uh, 55% white, 15% Asian, 11% Hispanic, 7% black. Um, so it's, you know, it's a, it's a pretty impressive race and ethnicity breakdown, but Tim Cook says, you know, we want to do better. We're not happy with, with the breakdown that there is and we want to make sure that we're doing everything we can to recruit smart and talented people from all over the world and, and no matter what they're, you know, whether they're male or they're female and we really want to make sure that our company is, a, is an accepting, welcome place to be. And of course, they also mentioned things that uh, Apple did not break down in its demographic data, including um, – including support for LBTQ folks um, and support for those with artistic endeavors. Uh, they really highlight the idea that, 
you know, no matter what your background is, it's nice to have a big, varied, colorful picture uh, for a company rather than have everybody do the same thing or look the same or be of the same gender, uh, which is – it's a really daring move for the company. Um, and it's interesting to see in their breakdown, they did include um, sort of tech and non-tech sectors so you could get an idea of like how the, how the breakdown was and leadership, uh, which I thought was really cool. Um, and, but it is interesting. There are 28% of women in leadership positions at Apple, which is still a little dismally low. Um, but you know that's probably higher than than other tech companies in the in the region. And we we don't know because those tech companies haven't been really forthcoming with their numbers. Right. Uh, Google did release a general report. And I think more of these companies are doing it now, where they're saying, "Yeah, gee, uh, not so good," because I think the a complaint about tech in particular is that there are an awful lot of men and an awful lot of white men doing it. I, th- I still think that's that's an issue. And I and I agree that Tim Cook should have said, yeah, you know, we actually can do better, as can, although he didn't extend it to everybody else. But I think it's as in the valley, this is the way it is. It's Caucasians are still predominant, um, Asians second, and then after that, things drop off significantly. One thing that Apple did do, which was smart or pandering, I'm not sure which one, is where they opened up the um, the uh, pictures of people higher up in the company. In the past, you the president and, and VP were all white men. And then um, Angela Ayers came in, and so now a woman there. Great, good. Well, they, they then they opened up kind of the next level down, and then there were more people, non-Caucasians, and uh, I think two women... So I think this was, again, to underscore, like, yeah, no, really, we're not that white and male as as people make us out to be or as they make out the valley to be. But um, I agree with them. I do think Apple and everybody could make more efforts. We talked about this last week about there not being enough women represented in the uh, in the developer community. And I think this extends to, to companies like this as well, that they do need to expand their hiring practices and and start considering diversity as as a valuable thing. Now, some people on our our forums, because there are such people in the world, said, no, this is a call for quotas. And when you say the word quotas, there are certain people within a certain demographic and a certain... Everyone gets nervous. Everybody gets very nervous, right? It's like, oh, well, no, then that means that you're going to discriminate against Caucasians because you're (laughs) demanding so many of this and so And Tim Cook did not say any of these things. Um, But I I think it was just a good idea to to let the world know that this is on their radar, not that they're going to impose quotas, not that they're going to do terrible things to people who have gotten a break in the past, but really just try to be a little more open-minded about who they hire. Absolutely. And I, you know, as someone who, you know, uh, I am, I am neutral on the whole affirmative action debacle. And it's like people, people get frustrated about it. People praise it. People hate it. Um, but I mean, there's there's a difference between saying, oh, we're going to have a 20 percent quota of, you know, we must have at least 40 percent of these this the people in this company must be women. Instead, you can say, all right, right now we only have 28 percent women in our company. Are we doing everything that we can to interest women to come work for us? Are we recruiting in areas where there are women in tech who we maybe haven't talked to? Uh, and there are, you know, it's uh, same thing. We talked a little bit about Brianna Wu's piece last week, where 
you can reach out to to people and to women to folks of color uh, in a different in a way that makes them feel more welcome and more willing and more engaged to apply to jobs like this uh, that doesn't involve the word quotas on it that just involves being being familiar and being aware of the issues that women in tech or people of color in tech face and being welcoming to it, being opening the door. Right. And I think this does send a message to younger people, too, that there I can say to my daughter, you know, Apple's really, really does want women to work there. So maybe where you thought a door was closed, maybe it's not. And as the company evolves and as other companies evolve, more and more of these opportunities are going to be open. So don't allow yourself to to shut down and think, well, I could never get in anyway. Um, it, it's important for me as a, as a parent to say, no, you can. And this this can happen. And, I, and so I appreciate a company like Apple saying we can do better um, so that I can pass this message along to my um, my spawn, as it were. Oh, I hope to see your daughter working at Apple someday, Chris. Well, that doesn't, you know, I mentioned that, and that's not actually what she wants to do. I'm not sure what it is, but I think it involves running the world. And um, and maybe that's Apple. That's acceptable. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's fine, because I think, you know, she'd be benevolent, at least uh, <laughs> in regard to me. She could, you know, invent benevolent Skynet. Is there such a thing? Is that, do the two go together? I don't know, but uh, but if anybody could figure it out, I bet your daughter could. Okay, good. Well, I won't put that on her list of things to do. <laughs> Invent benevolent Skynet to make sure you get both, both parts of that. Yes. Yes. Um, speaking of silliness, uh, my thing I want to bring up, and this has nothing to do with Apple, but I just think it's uh, another one of these sort of broad social issues, is that um, Facebook is going to add a satire tag. And what this means is that, um, as you know, there are, there are websites out there that post funny stuff. And some of it is satirical and some of it is very biting. And The Onion, I think, is the obvious example of this. Well, we know that people on social networking services, whether it's Facebook or Twitter or whatever, um, can get really head up about things. And so sometimes they'll read a headline somewhere that if you don't look at it very carefully, you think, oh, really? Is that happening? And they get very upset about it, and it turns out that it was an Onion story, and it was something that was intended to be satirical and funny. But rather than actually go to the link and read the story and understand what the source is and that it's intended to be humorous, people get very, very angry about it and start ranting. And then somebody else has to say, you idiot, it's from Onion, and then that starts a whole different battle. Um, so I, one, I guess it's okay as a service. Um, it seems the pundit class is saying, oh, look how far our world has fallen, that people can't understand a joke. But I think it's deeper than I, I think it's about social media, the fact that people don't read things very completely. Um, and that since everything is reported, because we have this 24-hour news cycle, that we do tend to hear a lot of really ridiculous stories, because people are trying to feed the beast, that are true. And so when something that comes along is outrageous as well, you think, well, I guess that could be true. And, and then people automatically react to it um is this good i don't know but i don't think it means that people in the world are stupid which i think is what people's reaction to this is that people are so stupid that facebook has to sort of spoon feed them and say it's a joke get it it's a joke yeah i mean i on one hand i do think that you know 
while it's very easy for people to be offended, be like, oh, you know, oh, there's, you know, how, how, how dare Facebook think that I, that so many people are stupid or how dare Facebook um, do this? This is the downfall of society. Uh, I think for years and years there, you know, I, I certainly have known people who have been fooled by misinformation um, that, you know, purports to be true, not even satirical news websites, but, you know, stuff, stuff that's completely inf- incorrectly sourced or not factual. Um, and there's, there are, there's a large portion of the population that, as you said, like either doesn't read things all the way through or sees an inflammatory headline and gets outraged by it without reading the article. There's a great thing about that a while back with NPR posting something about, you know, 97% of people don't read newspapers or something like that. And, uh, and then you, when you clicked on the, the article, it was a giant troll basically saying, oh, we want to see how many people actually read this story. And then if you read it, like it on Facebook um, and we'll know who's actually paying attention to our social media and who's just reblogging headlines because they find it outrageous. Uh, and like so, things like that I think are are very funny and and are true. You know, some some of us see an inflammatory headline and we don't have the the background of journalists, right? Like as I as somebody who works in online media, my first thought when I see a story is not, oh my god, that's horrible. It's all right. Who's the primary and the secondary source, and how does this? You know, this this recent hullabaloo with Ferguson is a good example where. You know, before I started sharing anything, because I do have a little bit of a, a network on on Twitter and a, you know a, a feeling of oh I'll have to signal boost, uh, making sure that like pictures and everything that you're sharing is is correct and is good. Um, and when it comes to Facebook, you know, not not everybody is wired like that. Not everybody thinks, oh maybe I should check this source. Maybe I should make sure that this picture is what it purports to be before I before I share it to my followers or my friends or my family. Um, so on one hand, yeah, it's, it's a little bit extra, but it's at the same time, it's Facebook trying to help out with that, uh, with those credentials, right? In a weird way, <laughs> in a weird way, the satire tag is helping, helping you avoid the conversation at Thanksgiving dinner where someone says, did you see that police officers <laughs> don't see a difference between black, light-skinned and black subjects? You know, uh, we've all had those conversations with family and extended friends and those aren't fun. Those are frustrating. You're like, well, that was a joke or, well, that, that, if you check out this, maybe you should see. Um, so if Facebook can take care of those conversations for me and just, you know, educate people with a satire tag or a, you know, not factual tag – I'm actually okay with that. Yeah, I, I think you'd even take this further, um, although people will complain of censorship. But if you were going to broadly claim a source is unreliable, and in the case of Facebook, they're basically saying anything from The Onion is satirical, so don't believe this, although well-written and funny. But then there could also be the trolling tag. As you indicate, there are certain headlines that are written specifically so that you'll click on them and be outraged. Then you actually go um, – to the side and go, oh, it's not about that at all. So, Isn't the trolling tag just BuzzFeed.com? Or HuffingtonPost.com? <laughs> or Huffington. HuffPo? Yeah, put them on there as well. Shame on you, HuffPo. Um, and that makes up for my Glenn Beck remark from two weeks ago. Um, Sorry, listeners. <laughs> now I've lost the other two people. Um, 
But yes, I mean, there are certain sites where you just know, like, oh, no. And so I think your, your strategy is correct. To click on the site and find out what it's really about. But again, somebody could make this easier for us and just, well, actually, you know, much as Google News does, as you go to the Google News site, you have the ability to tune it. So I can say there are certain websites that I want to see more from and certain that I want to see less from. So if I'm Gawker or some other one where I go, oh, that may not be the most reliable headline in the world. So I can slide their slider to the left and I can take the New York Times. I could slide that one to the right um, or understanding which sites are going to have a certain political view. Maybe you want to hear more of that stuff because that uh, you agree with that sort of take. But um, the ability to tune sources isn't such a bad idea, I think. So um, Facebook, you can take that idea, even though Google had it first and, uh, and run with it as far as I'm concerned. Um, before we go on to more stuff, let's hear from lynda.com. Lynda.com. Lynda.com is an easy and affordable way to help you learn. Instantly stream thousands of courses created by experts on software, web development, photography, graphic design, and more. Now, I'm a lynda.com author as well as an account holder, and so I've seen the company from inside and out. The quality of their content is really outstanding. Lynda.com works directly with industry experts and software companies to provide timely training, often the same day new versions or releases hit the market. So you're always up to speed. All courses are produced at the highest quality, not like the homemade videos on YouTube. Courses are broken into bite-sized pieces so you can learn at your own pace and learn from start to finish or just find a quick answer. And you needn't sit in front of your computer to take advantage of Lynda.com's courses. Learn while you're on the go with their apps for iPhone, iPad, and Android. And you can do it all for one low monthly price of $25, which gives you unlimited access to over 100,000 video tutorials. Premium plan members can also download project files and practice along with the instructors. Knowing our listeners as I do, I think you'll benefit from iOS app development essential training, iPhoto 11 essential training up and running with Apple Remote Desktop and my own iPad for Business and iPad Tips and Tricks courses. Because I'm a musician and wannabe photographer, I've spent a fair amount of time with Linda's Logic, GarageBand, and Audition courses, as well as Ben Long's photography lessons, which are really outstanding. If you need training for business or your personal life, Linda.com is the place to go. I've worked out a deal with Linda.com to provide you with a special offer to access all courses free for seven days. Visit Linda.com slash Macworld to try Linda.com free for seven days. That's L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash Macworld. So the next thing I want to talk about is kind of light and fluffy, but I thought as a parrot, it was kind of an interesting idea. There is a, um, I believe it's a mother, a uh, woman came up with this app and it's called Ignore No More. And what it does is if you are a parent and you are calling your uh, child and they don't answer or you text them and they won't reply, what it does is it understands that like, hey, mom's calling or hey, dad's calling. And they just go, oh, I'm not going to pick that up because they're going to tell me, you know, something lame and they'll, you know, roll their eyes at the phone. Um, if they do not pick it up when they're supposed to, I don't know how many chances they get. Basically, it will shut down the phone. So it will allow them to call 911 if they need to. Good. And they can also call back their parent. And then the parent can say, oh, well, now that you've returned the call, I will turn your phone back on so that you can use it for all the other stuff you use it for. 
I'm kind of torn on this. So before I issue my parental judgment on this, which is questionable, um, how I'm going to turn to you as a non-parent, as as someone who was under the thumb of your parents um, more recently than I was. What do you think? <laughs> Uh, my mother would like this today. <laughs> really? Me, currently, I think. I no. It's uh, I joke, but uh, it is very nice in some ways to you know encourage children to call their parents back, no matter what age. I don't necessarily know if locking the phone is the the, the <laughs> right answer, um, but I know that like my mother would be so thrilled if. When she called, like an alert would just continue pop, continually pop up on my phone, like an annoying, like a like an alarm, right? Mm-hmm. Every five minutes, ring, call your mother, ring, call your mother, ring, call your mother. I would be really pissed. Yeah, <laughs> I would be really unhappy. In case we can't use that. Oh, we um, totally can. <laughs> um, but at the same time. You know, there there are points where my mother will call, you know, my parents do the thing, sorry, dad, where you call during the workday. And because I work at home, it is a little more flexible for me to pick up the phone. But sometimes, you know, I'm working on an article and I can't pick up the phone despite the fact that it's 2 p.m. in the afternoon because I'm at work. Um, and then I'll forget about it because, you know, you're working on an article, you're doing something else. And before you know it, it's been four days and you haven't called your parents and your parents are, are all, are you still alive? <laughs> we don't know what's happened to you. Your Twitter is occasionally posting, but otherwise we don't know if you're okay. And so, uh, you know, to avoid the guilt trip and to avoid my worrying my poor parents, who I love very much, uh, it would be cool to see a variation of this for kids and adults alike or young adults uh, but I don't necessarily know that shutting off the phone entirely is the answer. It's well, how would of, the 14-year-old hmm. Serenity feel about this? The 14-year-old Serenity – I was going to say she did not have a cell phone. But I, yeah, she she had just gotten one. Honestly, um, locking the phone would be very annoying. Locking the phone I think would probably make all of my phone calls be exasperated and, ah, mom, I'm <laughs> fine. <laughs> For Pete's sake, why are you calling me for the fifth time today? This is just mean. And you could also use it as a way to, again, to regulate your kid's phone usage. I'm just going to call him every time he spends more than two hours on his phone. Uh, I feel like it could get, could get abused really easily. And it takes – if you make your kid associate calling you with frustration and mm. anger, I don't know if that's a good – forward life lesson if you're you're basically saying every time that your parents want to talk to you it's going to be a hassle uh i know that if that was six years of me growing up and then going to college uh i don't know if i'd call my parents very often once i got off their cell phone plan yeah yeah i think it's, it would be pavlovian that every time your parents yeah. go oh god this uh, i was gonna lock my phone oh wait that was six years ago okay i can talk to them now yeah, and also again, in putting it in this situation, what if your kid's doing schoolwork on their phone and they're using, you know, they're using their phone as a reference, and all of a sudden their parents call and they can't pick up the phone or text or talk because they're in a situation where it just doesn't, you know, it's not appropriate. Then they're stuck with a with a brick for a couple hours until they do have a chance to to do something, or they have to go out into the hallway and break up whatever they were doing. It's. I don't know. It just – it seems like too extreme. Reminders, yes. 
Shutting down the phone entirely? No. And also, I don't even know if you can necessarily do that on an iPhone without jailbreaking it. Yeah, I have not used the app, so I don't know. It seems like a court of last resort kind of app. I mean, clearly there are parents doing who would consider this sort of thing where you want to really have the talk instead, you know, and say, I could install this and I could use this technology to shut down your phone. However, I as parent will try not to be the helicopter parent. And so I will try not to call you for things that are unimportant and I can hold my horses and I can wait until you get home or at such time where it's an appropriate time for the two of us to, to get together. I, I think the the one issue here is that it, it doesn't really if, uh, issue any kind of test for the parent. If you are the kind of parent that's constantly in your kid's life and getting in their way, um, you may be tempted to do something like this. If you don't call me back in five minutes, I'm going to shut down your phone and that will show you. It's the same kind of thing of setting up um, at home. I have the ability to, through my through the MAC address on my daughter's phone, I could shut off the network and just say, block her out so she can't exit. And therefore, you know, if she's been distracted by using her phone, that's one way out. But I would prefer, and I have done, is instead sit her down and just say, this can be a distraction for you. So I prefer you not use it. Come out to your homework where I can see where you're doing it. So not that I'm supervising it, but it may help you concentrate. And then put this phone aside, except for those cases where you actually need it for your homework. When that's done, then take the time you need to use your phone, not to access so that you're living on the thing exclusively, but so that you can do the cool stuff that you want to do. If you want to text your friends, fine. You want to do Instagram, great. Do all that stuff. But let's try to keep that separate from from your homework time or the, or the time that you're having family time, rather than impose this thing on them and, and then just shut down the device because the device isn't simply a choice between talking to your parents and playing, you know, playing games or, or texting with your friends. As you suggest, there are perfectly legitimate reasons that you want to be doing what you're doing on the phone without it being shut down because you haven't taken the time to call your mother or your father back. So I think it's a little extreme. I think it could be helpful in cases where that's the only way you can deal with a kid in their phone, but I would hope that through good parenting, you would never have to get to that point. Although they're clearly kids who, who don't understand boundaries like that. Maybe you need to take that step, but uh, as a good parent, I think maybe you could avoid doing that sort of thing. Yeah, I would hope so. I think there are plenty of other technological ways to encourage your children gently to call them or you know, do errands or clean up. Okay. And of course, I say that as someone who is not a parent. So I'm sorry, parents. You can laugh at me and, <laughs> and roll your eyes all you want. Yeah, well, she doesn't know. <laughs> there is some of that. I, you know, and I, prior to the time that I was a parent, I would say things like that. And parents would look at me like, you have no idea what this is like. And now that I've become a parent, I've adopted that attitude as well, where I can then sort of look at somebody and go, you have no idea what this is like. Um, but it happens that I have the most perfect child on earth. And so I don't have those sorts of problems where uh, I have to say that. And so I don't need to use this app. And uh, I hope very few parents do. But I, interesting idea, interesting solution to um, to a problem where kids do tend to use a lot of technology and and sometimes don't know when to stop. And we're going to talk about one more thing. But before we do, we have a word from a new sponsor, and that's Automatic, which is the smart driving assistant on your smartphone. We have a new sponsor this week, Automatic, the smart driving assistant on your smartphone. 
So what does it do? Automatic is a small dongle that you plug into your car's data port. And this is a port that's located near the steering wheel on most cars made in the last, say, 15 years. Once plugged in, it sends data from your car to your iPhone or your Android phone. Specifically, it gives you feedback on things you do that can waste gas, speeding and rapid acceleration, for example. It can also let you know when you're braking too hard, which can increase wear and tear on your brake pads. You can see all this data in weekly reports, which may compel you to drive more efficiently. And that's not all. If a check engine light comes on, for example, Automatic can tell you what's actually going on. And with it installed, you can easily find the position of a parked car. And if you get into a serious crash, Automatic can call for help as well as alert your loved ones to let them know that help is on the way. Normally, Automatic costs $100, but you can have it for just 80 bucks when you visit Automatic.com slash Macworld. It ships in two business days and comes with a 45-day return policy. Free shipping, too. Check it out and drive smarter. And looks like we are a few weeks away from an iPhone 6 announcement. A couple of reliable yes. sources have said, <laughs> yes, September 9th, they're going to talk about it. Um, and, of course, there have been the rumors that have come with it. So reading today, uh, let's see, latest rumor roundup is a reversible USB cable. So we already can plug the lightning cable in either way on the device. But now they're talking about a USB cable that can be plugged in in either orientation. So it avoids those situations where you go, ah, doesn't fit, flip, now it fits. Uh, a gigabyte of RAM, possibly. Uh, bigger battery, or at least higher capacity battery. Um, sapphire screen, so that those who um, drop their phone with the butter side down, maybe the screen won't shatter, because this is much more... Yeah, of course, the other way, who knows. And um, and other. Is there anything else we're missing here in terms of the physical characteristics of this alleged I phone? I think, well, there's been a little bit rumored about the camera, but nothing that I can remember uh, concretely, there, there are a lot of component rumors floating yeah. around, which, of course, honestly, this, this is the one sort of channel that Am that Apple can't super tightly control because they do have to build their components overseas. They they don't currently have the manufacturing power to do it in the states under Apple controlled factories, so they outsource that. And as a result, you know, unfortunately, we've we've all read stuff about working conditions, and even though Apple has made great strides to try and improve working conditions in its factories or the factories that it uh, sublets work out to, uh, those workers probably aren't making a ton of money. And uh, if if rumor websites are offering them, hey, I'll pay, f I'll pay you a couple grand if you want to send me leaked screenshots or leaked photos of, of these devices you're working on or what kind of materials you're using, I... As much as I, you know, personally have a moral code, if I was making $14 a day, maybe a couple thousand dollars of American money does not sound so bad to me. Yeah, it could um, be a significant difference in your life. Yeah. So, you know, I we're going to see – we've been seeing component leaks for the last couple of years. And unfortunately, um, or maybe fortunately for Apple, there are multiple component leaks. Not all of them are correct. I'm not even sure. I suspect that, you know, Apple may even be introducing fake component leaks just to throw rumor websites off to be like, oh, well, this is, this is going to be this size. But here's a different frame of a phone that looks like it's going to be this size. Um, so, you know, it's, there's, there's a lot of, uh, of stories about different components in the phone. I think US, reversible USB, you know, non-Schrodinger's non cat USB, you never plug it in the right way when you go to plug it in. Mm -hmm. 
that that could be very cool. I know Apple had a patent on it um, awarded either last year or a couple of years ago, so I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised to see that. Um, I, but I also wouldn't be shocked if it didn't make an appearance or made an appearance next year or later this year. Uh, it is it is something that I'd like to see. Yeah. Well, when was the last time you were truly shocked by something that Apple did? Because I'm trying to think the last few years, enough components have leaked where we had a pretty good idea of what was going to be happening. Now, it seems to be with the, the iPhone 6, they're talking about different sizes now. So there'll be a bigger one and, and maybe a smaller one. And are they going to actually call it? Because I think I heard, let's see, iPhone 6L was going to be, you know. So now <laughs> they're going to add another. Yeah. And are, no, I just well, don't but then, know. But, oh, and what happens when you add the S? Because then it becomes L and S, and that's, it's not the the five S small. That doesn't make sense. Yeah, and then uh, then you're looking kind of back in, in the ugly days of the '90s when they had all these different model numbers. Forty two hundred C. Right. I don't think Apple wants to go there again. And no, so, let's just have it be the iPhone, the iPhone, the iMac. Yeah, the yeah, exactly. I think they like that, so I don't know why they would start appending a bunch of numbers and letters <laughs> to these things. But back to that original question. When was the last time you saw something that just came out of nowhere? And Wow, I had no idea they were working on something like that. So I think it really comes down to the software side and the hardware side. Because on the software side, I'd say most recently it was Swift. You know, at this, this year's WWDC con- um, developers conference, where like they they unleashed a ton of stuff that hadn't even been rumored, let alone you know misinformed misinformed on on rumor sites. Uh, when you go to hardware, however, and you do deal with outsourced parts, etc., um, yeah, it becomes a lot less surprising. Where you're like, well, okay, I kind of knew that would happen, and I knew that there would be a phone about this size, and I knew that they were talking about Sapphire. So it becomes a checklist, right? Oh, this is what's actually in it. This is what's actually in it. This is what, rather than, ooh, it's Christmas. I wonder what will be in my packages. Right, um, because be- they have predictable product cycles now, too. So you know a new iPhone's going to come in the fall, a new iPad's going to come, a new iMac, probably. Uh, so, it, but it's that product that just comes out of left field. We go, wow. Really? Huh. And I think maybe that's going to be whatever this Maybe the iWatch. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Whatever Whatever the wearable is, then that will be sort of like, oh, that's – because we don't really know what their take is on it. We talked about it maybe being fitness, maybe being a terminal for whatever's in your pocket. So that I think maybe is going to be the next thing that we go, oh, that's really interesting. We hope. Yeah, I'm I'm actually really excited about that because they really there have been tons of rumors about Apple's wearable, including a well placed hint by uh, daring fireballs John Gruber that the wearable would be released oh at this in September at the mm-hmm. event. Um, but there, ha- when you talk about component leaks, there haven't been a lot of component leaks, which is intriguing to me because I would say that the Apple's impending wearable, um, if such a thing exists, is probably at the top of the rumor list right now because everybody wants to see what Apple might be doing. And to not have a have prototypes floating around is really interesting. And it means either, you know, it might be it might be being produced in a place where where Apple is, you know, making either very limited supplies or it might, you know, who knows, it might be being produced in the States. It's an, I mean it's not entirely out of the question that it might be, you know, it might be under an, a completely app-controlled facility. Yeah, although you think they'd be producing a ton of these things. Yeah, well, you, again, you, we we don't know what it is, right? Right. Or it could be being produced under the like could be iPhone 
oh, here, here's some old iPhone 4 shells, and we're just <laughs> going to encase our prototypes in these iPhone. I don't know. I honestly don't know. I feel like if there, if the components were floating around, we'd have seen pictures of them already, and it is intriguing to me that we have not. Exactly, exactly. And so I, I think I was on... I was almost on another podcast, and we talked about this because I don't think that episode was released, and not because of me. Um, but we talked about this very issue, and it's like, well, where where are the leaks on this thing? So either yes, it's in, a, in the state somewhere, and then you know, it's hidden underground volcano facility where it's really locked down, so it's not overseas, or they're producing a limited number of the things. They announced it on September 9th or sometime in September or October. And put the release date far enough away that they can, then they can like turn on the production and go, okay, go. We've got six weeks to produce these things. And then they become uh, stocking stuffers, for example, if they're going to try to release it for the, the holidays. For the holidays, yeah. Yeah, so it'd be interesting to see uh, how they play this one. But I do think that Apple is, isn't fretting quite so much. Maybe in the post Steve Jobs era, people aren't throwing things against the wall when something leaks out. I think Steve was very concerned about it. Um, and I don't know if Tim is quite as uh, sensitive to that because he's leaked some stuff, you know, saying, yeah, we're going to have so many product categories by the end of 2014 or something. And he'll talk about certain things where that was totally a not Steve thing to do. So maybe Apple's calmed down a little bit about some of this stuff or just realized, yeah, you know, there's nothing we can do about these leaks. We can try, but some of this stuff is just going to come out. Yeah, I actually think Steve jo- or uh, uh, Tim Cook's greatest achievement is his the, f- the amount of fun he has with the rumors market and mm-hmm. misdirection. I mean, here's a guy who works in components and who works in supplies and knows that things are going to leak. And whereas Steve is, you know, personally offended when this sort of stuff happens, Tim, I think, is a bit more of a pragmatist. Is like, all right, there are things that are going to leak because there's no way we can secure a Chinese factory. Um, you know, we can try, but we don't have the personnel or the people to, you know, crack down and severely punish people. We are not the Gestapo, despite what certain certain websites write right. about us. Uh, but you know, Tim Cook is also famous for the doubling down on secrecy quote. Where, you know, I think the the categories and the things that they can control, they have almost entirely isolated and locked it down. Again, think about software. Think about anything that is developed on Apple's campus um, and manufactured there. We see very little of it outside of public betas. We get occasional rumors from folks like Mark Gurman at 9to5Mac who have incredibly good sources in the editorial or in the uh, in the engineering teams. But otherwise, you know, those kind of leaks have been almost entirely shut down. And even Gurman's uh, Gurman's, uh, resources and and reports have gotten less reliable over the years. So it's – I think Tim may not be worrying – may not be sweating so much the stuff that he knows. You know, it's the whole God grant me the serenity uh, prayer where it's like – Accept the things I cannot change, mm-hmm. and right. and work really hard to do the to to work on what I can. Uh, I think it's very much that's his that's his take on rumors, where it's you know there are certain rumors that are going to get out, and we can either ride with it and shape the news to our to our desires. You know, uh, we can leak in fake components to really mess with people's heads, uh, and. We can double down and focus really hard on the stuff that we really want to protect and we know that we can protect um, and yeah, because I, I do think that there is that there is that vital split. Yeah, and I think it, it plays two ways. One is that 
and this was a Steve Jobs thing, and I think it's still a, a good strategy, which is they want to delight people. And so people like surprises. They don't want to know what's in the in the holiday package. And I like surprises. Yeah. I love being shocked and surprised. Like, even being in tech news, I love being surprised by Apple events. This, you know, well, this Worldwide Developers Conference was my first time ever being at an Apple event. And to see – to have all of this new stuff come out, to have continuity and handoff and Swift just show up unannounced, I felt like a kid at Christmas. Yeah, yeah. It was great. When you surprise the reporters of all people, like – and I can't even imagine how regular users and consumers might feel. Right. And then the, the other side of it is that they have competitors. And so they need to keep some of this stuff secret because – Particularly on the software side. They don't want to say, oh, look, we have X, Y, and Z coming out because then Korea, turn on your copy machines. Yeah. Um, there, are, <laughs> there are people who say, oh, what a lovely feature. Let's make ours brown and uh, it will be just as awesome. And we'll, maybe we can have it out before Apple has it out. So – of course, they're trying to protect their, their intellectual property as well. So they have plenty of good reasons to keep it secret other than frustrating journalists and, and people who are enthusiastic about Apple's work. Um, and you had one thing to close off. Uh, it's yeah. a little kudo. Uh, I think that's a, a little... singular for uh, Apple. Yeah, a, a single kudo. Well, so the Emmys were, of course, on uh, on Sunday. And Apple actually picked up a, a television award uh, for one of its holiday spots from last year, uh, which was an ad that aired back in December called Misunderstood uh, about a, a kid who, you know, comes over to what looks like his grandparents' house with his entire family for Christmas. And he's carrying a phone, an iPhone, the entire time and he's kind of playing with it and, you know, participating in family events but also kind of withdrawing into it and – and the family gives him like some amounts of grief throughout the spot. Mm -hmm. And it's all, you know, have yourself a merry little Christmas playing instrumentally in the background. And then on Christmas morning, the kid comes in and he sits down in front of the television. He hooks his iPhone up. And all of a sudden, this wonderful little video that he's been making over the past couple days starts playing on the on the TV. And and you see all of the family tearing up. And it's hard not to get a little bit teary yourself when you watch it. It's it's a very beautiful ad. And so the Emmys um, awarded Apple with the 2014 Outstanding Commercial Award. It was up against uh, up against similarly tear-jerking commercials like the Budweiser commercial with the tiny little puppies, which was very cute, uh, that aired at the Super Bowl. Uh, and a couple other videos that I haven't – or commercials that I don't think I've seen – um, that one really touches a nerve for me, that commercial, and I encourage everybody to go watch it. I think it's on Apple's YouTube channel if you haven't seen it. Um, in that, you know, I feel like they're, they're – I know a lot of people sort of talked back in December, well, you know, if this is this kid on the spectrum? Is this the only way that he can um, show his family like how much he does care? Uh, and I think it's a little bit more simple than that. I mean I do think that it's really magical how Apple's devices allow us to kind of peer in and work and uh, interact with the world in a way that we may not feel comfortable with otherwise. But that was – you know, that kind of kid, that that was me except with a book or like a camera, you know, um, where – when you're at social gatherings like that, sometimes you're there are introverted people mm -hmm. where you just you don't necessarily feel out. You don't know how to make small talk, or you don't want to make small talk. You think small talk just doesn't doesn't uh, go forth what you want it to say, and then you pick up something like a camera. I love uh, <laughs> secret 
podcast listeners. I love taking my DSLR to family events or to any kind of any kind of party with uh, with family and and extended friends, people who I know well and who I love, but who you know I don't necessarily. I'm not going to be able to sit one on one with. It's always going to be a group. And that camera is a is a great filter for me to go into the world and be like I can interact in a way that it doesn't feel antisocial because I'm not I'm not using a book, guys. I'm not hiding behind a book. I'm interacting with the party and I'm interacting with the party instead of in small talk. I'm taking photos of the party and I'm you know I'm capturing this moment of these two little girls pretending to be ponies on a swing um, or playing in the sand. You know, and and no one gives it a second glance. They're like, "Yeah, of course she's doing this. She's a you know, she's a decent photographer. This is great. This is f- so awesome." And I think Apple's kind of making the argument that yeah, this this can be done for an iPhone too, where you know you see these withdrawn kids who are in love with their phones. And granted, there are some of us who are too in love with our phones, and sometimes we just need to put it down. But sometimes we're we're creating magic and we're interacting with you the only way we know how. So I, I the the commercial really touches a nerve for me, and I think it's it's really quite something. And I do think, just looping back to where we started, um, it kind of says something about the technology that that you do often see kids buried in technology and think, well, you know, what's the use of this? What are they getting out of this? And they're becoming more insular and. And not participating in the real world, with quotes, but rather in this kind of technology world and what a waste of time it is for them. And I do think this makes the point that this is a a way for them to view and interact with the world, as you say, that's comfortable for them and allows them to to do something creative with it and, and express themselves in a way that maybe wasn't possible without the technology in their hands. So I, I think it makes that point beautifully. Um and so that maybe using something like ignore no more may not be the best thing, particularly for a kid like this. So, um, yeah, well, that was that was a very nice way to end this. And it is the end. It is the end yes, it, of another Macworld podcast. Indeed it is. So, um, oh, you vacationing next week? I am vacationing next week, so you'll talk to Chris. But sadly, listeners, you you don't get to listen from me because I will, I will hopefully – be with my family and probably my DSLR um, in Canada, which will be a nice a nice change for a week. Uh, but I will miss you all terribly. All right. And you, Chris. Oh, well, thank you. Well, have a lovely time and uh, we'll see you, you the week after next. All right. Sounds like a plan. And that wraps up another Macworld podcast brought to you by lynda.com, the easy and affordable way to help you learn. Instantly stream thousands of courses created by experts on software, web development, photography, graphic design, and more. And Automatic, the smart driving assistant on your smartphone. Thanks very much for listening. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to drop us a line at podcast at macworld.com. See you next week.